Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops, a former D1 Hooper, current high school coach, teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids, and Omari Sankofa II, Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. Omari, my guy, had a great time with you in Vegas, grabbing some meals, watching some hoops, and you were awesome introducing me to everyone, but... Why don't you tell our listeners the one person you forgot to introduce me to when we walked by him? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, after Thursday's game, it was either Thursday or Saturday's game. Thursday's game. Amari um, never knows what day. Yeah, I mean, I'm sitting in Vegas now, caught between the time zones. I couldn't t- even tell you what time it is right now. Granted, I'm going to preface this and say I had a 23-hour day that day. So, um, I think it was a little clouded. Uh, anyway, uh, after the game, excuses. I Keep making excuses. Keep making excuses because you're going to need it after the fan base hears this. <laughs> so, immediately after the game, uh, you know, they do media interviews and like the uh, like to the right of the arena, you know, like kind of like a brief about a time to get down there before uh, the interviews start. So I get my stuff, walk down the stairs, go down to the tunnel, uh, walk past Trey Weaver, uh, just like a quick hello, fist bump, uh, you know, like completely forgetting that like Bryce is a couple steps behind me. Uh, so Bryce, uh, you know, he introduces himself to Trey. He's like, hey, like I'm Bryce, yada, yada. And Trey looks a little co- confused. And I hear Bryce, he goes, uh, I work for Mario at the Detroit Free Press. And then Trey was like, oh, oh. And I turned around. I'm like, like I should have just said, hey, this is Bryce Simon, you know, my, my podcast partner at the Detroit Free Press. I was in such a hurry trying to uh, get to the tunnel. I just wasn't thinking at all. I was like, oh, it's Troy fist bump. You know, keep keep it pushing. And uh, after it, I was like, Bryce, I'm so sorry, man. I should have, <laughs> like, I have been really good about, you know, like telling people who, like who Bryce was and whatnot. And of course, the general manager of the team, I'm completely with. So, Amari <laughs> yeah, truly was all the all the other media yeah. friends he knows, the Pistons PR people, like all sorts of Pistons with people within the organization. But we walk by Troy Weaver, and Amari daps him up, and then I stop, and I'm like, I mean, this is Troy Weaver. I can't like not stop. So I say, I'm Bryce Simon, and I put my hand out, and Troy just looks at me. For a half a second, I'm like, I, I work with Omari at the Free Press. And and so, you know, Troy Weaver's a great dude. You know, he shakes my hand. Yeah. And he goes, I'm Troy Weaver. And I want to be like, duh, I know you're Troy Weaver. Like, this is why I'm stopping here. And then I kept walking back. And and th- that stuff's all really cool. You know, we got to go back into the tunnel. And, and that was probably the coolest part was being right there for the interviews. So I believe we, you guys interviewed Jordan Brink, Isaiah Stewart, and Jay Nivey that night. After practice, the next day, I got to stand there as you guys asked questions to Jalen Duran and Kate Cunningham like all that stuff is really cool and it's really interesting to see like those guys have just played and now they come right out and have to answer questions I I know we all know that but when you see it in person like it's just it's really interesting to see the behind the scenes of how it all goes down for sure and I think summer league has a little bit more of a haphazard energy to it yes Uh, you know just because everybody's sharing the same two gyms and uh it all feels very informal Uh, you have like a small kind of like backdrop uh, where they do the team interviews and uh, you know, there's no press conferences. It's all scrums, which I think is what makes Summer League fun. Uh, it's just like how informal it is. And uh, it's just very loose. Everybody's there. All the, you know, general managers, agents, you know, reporters from all outlets and whatnot. So it's great to network. And yeah, it was good to get Bryce down there in, in the uh, fold. You know, as our day one listeners know, uh, me and Bryce met for the first time last Summer League 2021. You know, when Bryce was still doing the Murder City Hoops pot. And, uh, you know, that was like last August, so 11 months ago. And uh, yeah, to be able to get get him credentialed with the free press and to go to the practices and all the availabilities and whatnot. Definitely a really cool weekend. Uh, we're recording this Sunday, so I fly back Monday. Four or five days in Vegas is a lot. Like Bryce, I know you wanted to be down there a little bit longer, but uh, you didn't miss a whole lot. So <laughs> yeah, I wanted I wanted one more day, right? Like I could have yeah. changed my flight, watched the game on Saturday, and caught another game. But it really like the networking is insane. Um, you know, just to name drop, like I got to sit there with David Aldridge. You know, again, day one listeners know me and Da went to the same college, so I've known him for a while. But I got to sit there and watch the first half of the Magic Rockets game in the media section. Just just me and David Aldridge just sitting there talking hoops and and then all the people that would come up to talk to him that you know he would introduce to me and you know I'm just a nobody sitting there you know around all these famous media guys and and during the Pistons game Omari texts me and he goes hey where you at I said I'm I'm standing down here on the baseline he goes you could there's a chair up here you can come sit with me and Sean Windsor from the free press and I said 
no, 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 Mari. Like uh, Damian Lillard's getting interviewed behind me. Mike Schmitz is standing right or sitting right next to me. Jeremy Grant's sitting right in front of me. I'm watching the game from the corner of the court. Like I'm staying down here and I'm soaking this all in. I was, my friends were like, you were such a fanboy. I'm like, you are absolutely right. I was fanboying <laughs> the heck out of that opportunity. Oh man, we were, uh, we went down to Pistons practice, uh, Friday and uh for one it took us a while to navigate the arena uh yeah because we had to well I don't want to say what the practice area is but it, but you know we had to uh fig- figure it out it, it, it hey, but we got to ride the elevator with Birdman that was kind of yeah. fun that's what I was getting to yeah so Birdman is on the elevator and I'm just like who is this like tall bald buff white guy with like a tattoo on his head and then I was like oh that's Birdman what like I just see Birdman is so long like uh you know so it's cool being able to see you know like a lot of the, the former players as well uh, it kind of just feels like one long party, not like in like a, a lot of ways, honestly. And like it's it's not because like as a reporter you're working nonstop too, but no, but it's just fun, man. It's just fun. Like you know, it's been a a, a blast of a weekend, and, and of course we're gonna get into some Pistons talk and you know the players and on the floor stuff as well. No, like but just to be able to get Bryce into the fold and you know to get him in, introduced and see everybody up up close, you know, yeah, it 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 was fun. I was living vicariously through uh, Bryce getting the experience in this weekend for sure. You know, one of the best things was you and I got to spend some time together, right? We got to eat lunch, spend, you know, have a meal, you know, and I, I think that was great for the pod and the success of the pod. So couple things. First, if you have an experience NBA Summer League, guys, you have to go. Because Omari, it's like so informal what everybody is doing, all the people that are there. But everybody shows up. Like LeBron showed up on Friday night for the Lakers game. So everybody's there. And it's just a really cool experience. Secondly, talking about the success of the pod. At the end of last week's pod, we asked you guys to go, you know, give the pod some support, you know, give us some more ratings. Let us get over 100. And you guys absolutely showed out. We're up to 121 ratings on Apple, 109 on Spotify, and wanted to read one of the new reviews from Jai514 said, super dope show. Now that the Pistons have competent front office direction, I'm super invested and engaged. And this is the perfect show for fans like me for smart, in-depth analysis and perspective. It's not boring. And the two have great conversations and chemistry. So thank you so much. And again, I, I really felt like Summer League. I don't know how you felt, Amari, but I felt like these last couple of days were really good for you and I to have a chance to interact in person, be around each other, and just build that chemistry even more. It's kind of funny, just you know, the backdrop behind every pod you know uh, Bryce recording from his uh, classroom in the great state of Kansas uh, you know, so the few times we've been able to chop it up in, in person uh, which really I believe is three times now, last year at Summer League this past Summer League and then uh, when you came out to the Pistons game and uh, I believe it was March uh, yeah, you know, so, you know, whenever we're able to kick it in person, it's always good. Uh, we're probably only happen a few times a year. Hopefully Summer League can become an annual tradition for sure. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of the episode. I know what everybody's here for. We, guys, we, we thought maybe you'd be interested in just some behind the scenes stuff of Summer League, how it all went down in the last couple of days. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that. If you're here for the actual pits and stuff, we're getting into that now. And the first thing is Cade Cunningham. Again, we got to see him in person as he was practicing with the team. Got a chance to ask him some questions question so I'll let you do that Amari in terms of what you ask him about his body his weight and how he's kind of maintained that and grown it just a little bit yeah I mean I'm sure most fans I've seen by now that Kate look notice will be bigger uh just in the social media photos he's posted over the summer uh so summer league uh Saturday at practice Friday at practice was the first time uh, we had actually seen him in person uh really since the the season ended and he's definitely bigger uh you know I asked him about his weight he said he's uh, up to about 225 now uh, been fluctuating between 225 and 230 over the course of the summer. And that's about 10 to 15 pounds heavier uh, than his playing weight last season. I think at the end of the year, I think a lot of people recognized that uh, he was probably a little too skinny for his play style. It didn't really get calls. And, um, you know, for him to be more of like maybe a Darren Williams build where you can, I mean, he was already pretty good at getting his shoulder into people and, you know, and bodying bigger guys, uh, centers out the way. But, for him to be more muscular, I should definitely help that part of his game. Like, I also like that he just said that he wanted to just have, like, I forget his exact wording, but just have more of a, a, a presence of his game, right? I think he said command his space more, which I thought was interesting. Uh, he kind of struggled with turnovers a little bit 
I thought that was just an interesting way for him to kind of phrase just having like a better command of the ball, better command of the game, can, can control his space. It was like it was a very Cade Cunningham answer. I thought like he, you know, like he's really good at talking about the game of basketball. And I thought that, that was just very, he's very well spoken, yeah. man. Like that yeah. was the, the definitely the thing I noticed. Whenever you listen to interviews, whenever you read the articles, you can see it. But like being there, you can see like the the gravitation he has. He was funny. Somebody brought up the peanut butter and jellies, and you could see his fight, face light up. And then he made a joke about like, hey, I'm not paying that fine because the in arena announcer accidentally said his name on somebody's technical like he, he was very engaging very charismatic and and I agree with him on the weight like I've said I would rather him put on some muscle and some strength with the way he plays than necessarily like quickness or whatever I think that would benefit his play style even more than you know quicker feet or jump higher or whatever you may want in terms of athleticism yeah Cade is almost like a politician the way he uh, speaks just very like he just has a a, a presence to him that a lot of players don't have and you forget that he's 20 years old like you know he he, he doesn't carry himself like somebody who's in, in college though he's just like it's just different like like it's kind of hard to d- describe unless you listen to him a lot or i've met him but you know he's just his disposition is different but uh yeah for him to you know to put that that weight on uh i mean he was so versatile as you know his rookie season that there wasn't a whole lot he really needed to tightened up i mean you know shoot a little bit better but she also mentioned uh you know knock, knock down more threes he's only at 31 percent last season and i thought conditioning wise he definitely kind of wore down as the season went on you know which i just think being in the league like a lot of rookies kind of struggle with that aspect of it uh you know 82 games so uh, the workload increases a lot uh but yeah i mean you know just to have him around in uh, vegas i know the piss is one of them down there just so we could practice with the uh, team uh he talked a lot about him and Jaden ivy uh, just like how that fit works. And we'll talk about Jaden a lot, you know, of course, because he was pretty electric and back half a game, one of the first five minutes of the game, too. He definitely maximized his time there. I thought it was interesting that Kate said that uh, he's not going to change his game to accommodate Ivy and like vice versa. Like they're just going to both go 100 miles an hour and kind of figure it out on the fly. Uh, I thought that was an interesting response. He was like, yeah, he's going to come and play his game. I'm going to play mine and we're, we're going to figure it out. Uh, you know, he didn't try to. Uh, like, I just thought that was a very straightforward re- response. Like, it may not mean anything, but I thought for him to just be like, yeah, I'm not changing my game for him. You'll change the game for me. We're just going to go in there and figure it out. Like, just very straightforward, you know. Like, Especially I, you know, for Cade, right? Yeah. Like, after we talk yeah. about how politically correct he is. Yeah, especially since their games are so different. Like, their games are, like, almost opposites in, like, a, a lot of ways. So maybe Cade just recognizes that they can't really change their game to accommodate each other because they play so differently. You just got to have to go out there and kind of see how, how you fit. So... Uh, yeah, like I kind of just like the the frankness of that. He wasn't like, yeah, you know, I'm gonna you know send on the perimeter a little bit more to let him get to the rim, where I'm gonna do this or that. He was just like, nah, we're just gonna, gonna go out there and hoop, man. Like I don't know, <laughs> you know, we'll just figure it out. <laughs> Another guy who I thought was very well spoken whenever I listened in on the interview after practice, and absolutely, you know, has a presence in terms of his body and his frame is the 18 year old Jalen Duran. I thought he spoke really well as you guys stood around after practice and asked him questions. And then again, what were your first impressions of him whenever you? saw him in person because it's like oh my gosh this dude is huge there's no way he's 18 years old even Isaiah Stewart said in his interview after the game on Thursday night when they he was asked about Jalen Dern like even Isaiah Stewart was talking about how large of a young man Jalen Dern is he's just huge like it's, it's hard to believe he's 18 nothing about him says 18 years old like he is Jack he's like 6'11 250 just yeah nothing about him is 18 years old at all like it's kind of blows your mind when you see him up close and just like the physicality he plays with too. Like it doesn't really have a post game or anything, but once he catches the ball down low, like you just realize like a lot of teams just kind of are resigned to the fact that he's going to dunk it. Like you can't really do anything. I think it was like four or five from the line too. So if you, you do hack him, uh, if he can shoot 70% from the line as a, of a uh, rookie, like that'd be pretty fantastic. I feel uh, but he's just a, a a freak, man. Like I hate you using that word to <laughs> just, just describe basketball players, but, but he's just different, man. Like just his athleticism and the way he's built, like it's just different. He did shoot 63% last year from the free throw line and the shot doesn't look broken. So I think it's definitely something that can come around for Jalen Duran. And we'll talk more about what we saw him in the games. But before we do that, Let's talk about Killian Hayes. He was a very polarizing player over the last few days at Summer League. James Edwards III from The Athletic had the article or the tweet, maybe, I think it was an article, talking about how, you know, this this was going to be a big Summer League for Killian Hayes. He was going to be evaluated, you know, by the front office, as everybody is. But we ended up only seeing Killian Hayes for one game. Omari, what did you think about the one game we saw from him and then the decision for him to essentially shut it down for the rest of these Summer League games? 
Yeah, I mean, I thought he just looked like Killian during that first game. Um, you know, he didn't really do anything different from from last season. Uh, you know, he took the step back three and, uh, you know, missed it. Uh, but he did have a catch and shoot that looked pretty good. Uh, defense was good. Passing reads was good. You know, and then, of course, you know, uh, he did, it ended up not playing after that first game. And we actually didn't break about it after. And he said that, uh, you know, the plan was always for Killian to play one game. You know, I, th- I thought it was interesting coming into Summer League that all the 2020 guys and, of course, Cade as well, were in the roster to begin with. And I know it was important for the Pistons to get all their guys in the Summer League to be able to practice and kind of have that, uh, you know, build that chemistry, have that camaraderie and whatnot. Isaiah Sword, of course, ended up playing game two as well. And uh, he's the only one of that entire group that's played two games. And he's a little bit of a unique case as well because he didn't play last year either because of the ankle injury. I guess the thing with, you know, I'm curious with Killian now, uh, just not being able to see him take more threes. Like, I know Summer League, the Pistons used that as an opportunity to experiment. Uh, last year, we saw, you know, Sadiq Bay do his best Kobe Bryant impersonation as far as just, you know, trying to utilize his feet and take turnarounds and whatnot. And some of that did carry into the season because he did uh, have a lot more autonomy as far as. Uh, what he, he was able to do on offense, the freedom he was given on offense, and we saw him get better at, at that as the year went on. And now we see Isaiah Stewart, you know, playing the four, he's taking threes, and, you know, that's likely what we'll be seeing him do next season as well. Uh, they've got to mix it in, in, in games for the end of the year, but I think we'll see that. But we didn't see Killian do anything different. And, uh, you know, and then for him to only play one game, you know, for fans, I understand why that's disappointing, uh, you know, because it's year three for him. You want to see a leap, uh, seventh overall pick. Uh, he's been more of a, 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 a role player, and it's a genuine question. What else can he give? And nothing he did in that first game was unique or different. Uh, you know, he kind of approached the game the exact same way, which you don't want to read into it too hard. It's one game. But, you know, if the, if the Pistons had a plan for him to maybe be utilized a little bit different, differently on offense, like it would be cool to see him be used as a corner three-point shooter or just something, right? Why, why do you think that didn't happen? So I think that's the fan base's biggest question, Omari. Like, why? to me, it doesn't make sense. Like, I'm going to be honest here. Like, found it very interesting that those things didn't happen for Killian Hayes, either more on-ball reps or just the simple go stand in the corner. My biggest thing would have been seeing him score the ball more. And, and I will say, I know people are going to be mad saying that I'm giving him a pass, but I didn't know that he got a ton of opportunities to do that. And he has to be more aggressive, but I did find all of that dynamic a little bit interesting. And I think especially when you have a guy in Jaden Ivey, uh, who again, like he's different from K, but he's also very different from Killian. Uh, you know, just, you know, a lot of his game is predicated on his athleticism. Just the offense is just going to look very different depending on whose hands the ball is in, right? With Ivey, you're going to play a lot more up-tempo. With Killian, it's going to be a lot more kind of slow, methodical, uh, pick the defense apart, you know, swing to the corner or whatever. And I don't feel like I, we really got a good handle on how, how those two will look or play together. Of course, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes work that they'll put in as well that uh, fans aren't privy to. And even media, you know, we only catch like the tail end of practice after the main work is done and it's a lot of drill work. You know, at the end of the day, you know, I'm sure the, you know, the Pistons only really know, you know, why Killian only played one game when it seemed like he was probably primed to play a few more uh, on paper, the fact that Isaiah played two, and you know Isaiah's been you know probably more consistent a player in, in two years than Killian has as, as well. But obviously, he has something to prove playing the, the four and shooting as well. You know, it's interesting, but you know it's also summer league. Whatever work Killian put in as far as a shooter and whatnot, you know, I guess we'll just have to wait till preseason to see how it works out. But yeah, I mean, you know, I think if you're looking at guys who probably had the most to prove, Killian was one of them, and definitely disappointing that he didn't really show much more than what he had shown during his first two seasons, obviously. Yeah, and I think that's important to note. He he didn't show any more. He did the things we knew he did well. Defend, pass, all the things you outlined. I think we were all just wanting to see some aspect of scoring. For me, it could have been on the ball with the ball in his hands attacking. It could have been standing in the corner shooting 10 threes a game. Whatever it was, and we just didn't really get a chance to see that. And then, you know, he wasn't necessarily injured that we know of. And, and, and then they shut him down. It sounded like that was the plan the whole way. I do want to touch real quick on the practice dynamic. You mentioned, you know, we only got to go in the last few minutes of practice. The immediate thing I took Omari and you see more than me, but there was a five on five game going on one end and Cade and Sadiq were a part of that. So anybody wondering if they were actually practicing, they were involved in that game and it was competitive. It was a half court game of five on five. There were other guys doing like shooting drills and stuff like that on the other end. And then Killian and Isaiah were actually sitting down 
looking at film with assistant coaches. I just thought it was really interesting, the dynamic. And I wanted to let the listeners know that just get a little peek, you know, behind the doors of what a practice looks like, at least at the end. Like you said, we saw what, maybe five, 10 minutes of practice. And then it was essentially over. And Jordan Brink was running the show. So he's getting the full effect here, you know, with his first time coaching. Yeah, I mean, it's been cool to see Jordan in that role as, as well. I mentioned on the last week's part, just getting to know him a lot more over the last year. They play college hoops. Uh, yeah, you know, I've, I've, I've seen Jordan who, uh, uh, Jordan Brink play some pick, pickup games, uh, you know, with the team as, as well with the other trainers. And he can hoop. Like, he, he, he can hoop. So I know the guys love him, and it's been cool to see him have some of the spotlight this past weekend. And he's 2-0. and So when we get yeah. back from this break, we're going to talk about those two games, Amari. And I also want to get back into the Isaiah Stewart shooting the ball, Sadiq Bay, and guys working on their game and trying to develop an all-around offensive package. All right. Hey, Carlos, just a quick idea. How about if I say, hey, this is Sean Windsor, and you say, hey, this is Carlos Maros, and I'll go. And then we'll go back. You want you want to try that? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, you ready? Yep. Hey, this is Sean Windsor, and this is Carlos Menares, and we are the team behind Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean, where we are going to talk about you guessed it, sports, but lots of other stuff. Like what, Carlos? Oh, we're going to talk about your favorite subject, Sean. Food, um, probably more food, arts, culture, sports, TV, movies, you name it. If it's happened in Detroit, we're going to talk about it. And sometimes we're going to have guests in who obviously know a lot more than we do about just about everything. But we're going to have some free press journalists to talk about big stories, folks from the sports world. We're going to be out every Thursday. You can find this podcast wherever you find your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We hope you'll join us. We're back talking more Summer League. We've touched on it a little bit, but I do really want to get into Isaiah Stewart uh, playing the four. Uh, he started alongside Jaden Duran in the front court at the four uh, during the first two games. Uh, and I believe he is five of nine from three through two games, which is obviously very, very good. Uh, you know, going back to the end of last season, uh, he shot 11 of 18 from three over the last eight games, which is like 60-something percent, which is also very good. You know, so I, you know, I think it's time to have the discussion. How good of a three-point shooter will we be next season? Uh, what can we expect from a volume standpoint, and what can we expect just from an accuracy standpoint? Because uh, the Pistons are very clearly committed to him playing the four. It's been something that they've messaged. I think you know, pretty much since he was drafted, that we see him as a guy who'll be able to fulfill a lot of roles in the front court, and really, that could be his best skill on offense eventually. Uh, you know, just being a guy who's not the best roller, he is a little un- undersized, not the best leaper. Uh, but if he could kind of play that Grant Williams role, we saw key Grant Williams was for uh, Boston in the finals. That's a really useful player. You know, so Isaiah Stewart playing the, the, the four, absolutely one, one of the biggest storylines. And like, I like what I've seen from him. You know, like it's it's not going to be a, a perfect fit with him and Duran or Bagley or whoever else is down there. But I think he's shown enough through two games to where it's like, okay, if he's knocking down open threes, uh, teams are cheating off of him. Uh, he kind of had the dribble drive where he kind of fumbled the pass he got from during that first game, but he was able to put it on the floor. We shouldn't be able to do that. Uh, there, like, there's enough game there to where I feel like you could probably play him at the four or 15 minutes a night and feel okay about it. And I know we talked about this a little bit before we were recording tomorrow. I think we're both in agreement, and Wes as well, that it's not necessarily the four or the five or whatever. It's essentially being able to play him with another big, like Jalen Duran, like Marvin Bagley the third, because you can't have two non-shooters in today's NBA. Or if you're going to, like... Like you got to be really creative as a coach. Like maybe Dern and Bagley can fit if Jalen Duran can eventually short roll and then throw the lob to Marvin Bagley in the dunker spot. But I think we also would both agree that Isaiah Stewart's not very good in the dunker spot. No, he's not. Uh, you just kind of need a like size and some vertical pop, uh, you know, for that role to work. And that's just not the type of player he is. You know, it's not a knock on him, but there's just some things you want to see from that center position that he's not going to give you. So I agree. It's less about four or five. It's just more about having complementary skill sets, right? And when you have a guy like Jalen Duran, who projects pretty well as being a pretty traditional, modern rim running center, you know, in, in the Robert Williams mode or Clint Capella, whoever you want to use as an example. Uh, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna force Isaiah Stewart to, you know, go out and shoot. You know, and I've talked, I talked to Isaiah about this last season, the season before. Uh, we talked to him about it this past weekend. He's aware, like he's put a lot of work into that shot. He said he's comfortable taking it. 
Uh, and I really do think next season we're going to see him take those streams a lot more. It won't just be like a, you know, like last 10 games of the season or whatever. I do think early on it's year three for him. And he's got the green light of summer league. Uh, I, I, I really do think we're going to see this a lot more. And it seems like fans, and this goes back to Sadiq Bay, last summer league, the beginning of last season, kind of have worries about these players trying to expand their all-around game. Last year with Sadiq Bay, he took a lot of heat from the fan base for trying to do this stuff off the bounce and operate in ball screens and attack the basket more. And my thing is like, this is the time to do it, Amari. Like, why not take this time when you're not necessarily trying to win games and have these guys work on their games and expand it? And I feel like that's the fan base's uneasiness with Isaiah Stewart is like, no, just let him be a five. He doesn't need to be, you know, trying to expand all these things and the pressure of going along with it. And my thing is like, he. I wish he would have taken more threes. What did you say? Five of nine from three in two games? Like, I think he should have taken 20 threes in two summer league games so far because we know we can do the other stuff, but shooting those threes, especially at high volume, is the thing that can really take his game to the next level. So I think this is absolutely what Sadiq Bey should have been doing last year, what Isaiah Stewart should be doing right now. And unfortunately, what we didn't see Killian Hayes do. 100%. Yeah, Pistons see. Uh, I mean, Jordan Brink basically set it up front uh, after that first game on Thursday that the coaching staff uses Summer League as a time to ex- experiment, you know, give guys an opportunity to do stuff that you may not want them doing during the regular season as much. Uh, although last year with Sadiq Bay, you know, he was taking the turnaround threes. And uh, whenever he received the ball, he was just very, very clearly on a mission to create a bucket for himself one way or another. And yeah, you know, you saw people on Twitter who would say, why is Sadiq being so selfish? Like, give the ball a little break for these bad shots. But Sadiq's not a selfish player. You know, uh, we didn't see him do any of that uh, his rookie season, nor did we see him do that uh, in college. You know, like, that's not his, his, his game. He knows his role. He plays winning basketball. You know, it was it, it seemed pretty clear that the coaching staff told him to, to do that. And then during the, the season, he had to agree like, to do it again. And it took a few months for him to kind of get comfortable doing it. But uh, you look at his numbers after January, and he averaged something like 17, 6, and 3 on pretty good efficiency. So, yeah, Isaiah Stewart's going through the same thing now. He's taking threes. They're getting him out of his comfort zone. They're saying, we want you to develop these skills because uh, we're making a long-term commitment to you and also to the guy we just took 13th, uh, the 6'11", 250, 18-year-old. And you guys are going to have to play together. And that doesn't mean that you're going to be a full-time four, you know, or a full-time five or whatever it just means that we're going to use two big lineups uh, we've seen teams have success with two big lineups when you invest in two bigs you would like to be able to, to play play together uh, you know i think it would be a shame if you know isaiah stewart were only a five and he's only getting like 18 minutes a night at most uh you know i think ideally if you could play him with Duran and he can knock down threes at like a 35 percent clip We've already seen him switch when the guys like Luca, James Harden, guards, and guards have to get surprised when Isaiah Stewart switches onto them. Like this kind of big guy, and he moves his feet so well. He's just very fundamentally sound when he's on the perimeter. And just by the way, like him and Duran defensively, even if it's not a perfect fit offensively, defensively that might fit like a glove, right? It could be it could be really, really good. Now, yeah. I think you have to be creative with the matchups. Make sure you get, you know, I, I like the idea you get Stewart guarding the guy that's going to set the ball screen so he can switch. And then you have D- Duran just like cleaning stuff up around the rim. We've we've seen some of those block shots from him. But yeah, we, we talked to episode like the Cavs have gone super big. The Minnesota Timberwolves have gone super big. And again, I know the Pistons aren't trying to compete right now, but other teams are going to take the same path to trying to be successful so in three four years you're not going to be able to do this stuff with the young guys you're not going to be like at that point you can't say all right Isaiah go expand your offensive game because you're going to want him only doing the things that he does well at that point so this is the perfect time to work on these things and let's transition into the actual game on Thursday night because you brought up it was apparent to you last year Sadiq go do these things to work on your game I can't help but wonder do you think Saban Lee was told the same thing going into game one because I'll be quite honest Omari I didn't think he was very good he looked overly aggressive and I'm someone who's like hey always be aggressive but I didn't think he looked good he looked better in game two but do you think maybe that was the message from the organization like hey go out there be aggressive try to do some things maybe you don't always do because I know the fan base wasn't very happy with his game either I think it's 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 possible for sure uh, because it was a little uncharacteristic the way that he approached the game and was just like missing obvious reads and whatnot. Uh, you know, it could be an acknowledgement that Saban probably isn't a point guard. You know, like we've seen him play the one over his first two seasons and he may not be that type of guy. Uh, you know, I think additionally, when you take a guy in Jaden Ivey who, you know, like 
is a very similar type of player, but obviously, you know, fifth overall pick is coming in. He's probably doing some things on a higher level that puts Saban Lee in a spot where, you know, like where, where do his minutes come from? He hasn't been, you know, a key rotation player quite anyway. You know, he's a, a, a second round pick, uh, but it could have been an opportunity for the coaching staff to tell him like, yeah, like go out there and just try to get a bucket. You know, like we want you to go out there and get comfortable. Uh, you know, just find your uh, spots, whatever it, it may be. No, I mean, he did He did have a great game. I think he shot like one for eight or something. He did get to the line a lot. He took a bunch of free throws, so that was good. In general, I think we tend to take Summer League a little bit too seriously. And uh, I'm going to use that actually to kind of segue to talk about Jaden Ivey. I was going to say, uh, I, I'm embarrassed that we haven't brought up Jaden <laughs> Ivey in the first 30 minutes of the pod. So it, yeah. I hope listening and we apologize i apologize for not getting this in earlier because i know he's pretty much the guy everybody wants to talk about outside of maybe jalen Duran. we saw ivy and he kind of looked rough uh during the first half on, on thursday and uh you know it's kind of like you know does he remember that he could just blow blow past people at <laughs> will he kind of looked tentative and he could have just been like first game nerves obviously uh, you know, but that second half, he came out, got a couple of dunks, and he loosened them up. Yeah, then he looked like prime Derrick Rose, you know, during the first five minutes that I gave on Tuesday before he rode his ankle. And, uh, you know, and hopefully we see Ivy play again. He tweeted Sunday that he's good. So I guess we'll see. Uh, it'll be good to see him get some more reps. But, yeah, I mean, he was just so good in those first five minutes on Sunday. Like, he might have went off for 40. I mean, Oh man, like it sucks that it sucks that he wrote his ankle because it was just like, oh man, like this dude is just an absolute. He's like the Flash, man. Like he's just so fast and just man. Like this week is the first time I've seen him play in person, and it's just absurd to see him. It, it reminds me of, of watching John. He's a different player from John, but I, you know I covered John's rookie season, and as far as just them being a complete blur, I kind of do see shades of that in Ivy as well. Yeah, so just for the stat lines, he had 26-6 and six on Thursday. He did have five turnovers as well, but that tells you how well, like, we have pretty high expectations for these guys where we're, like, critiquing his game a little bit on Thursday when he put up those numbers. But then he had 11 points, two assists, including that dime to Braxton Key in transition in just five minutes on Saturday. He hit, what, a setback three. He had an isolation drive to the, the rim that I believe was an and one, had some other stuff in the half court, like, and I think that was his, what was impressive was he was doing it in the half court. Because I know one of the critiques coming out of Thursday was, yeah, but he's doing it all in transition or semi, semi-transition, semi which I'm like, well, that just means Coach Casey needs to speed up the offense this season and play a little bit faster. But he did some of those things on Saturday in the half court, which was exciting as well. So I, I think he showed everything we wanted to see from Jaden Ivey in the minutes he's played so far. I don't know if he showed any more. I'm going to go back and watch some more film and see what he specifically looked like on the defensive end. But that is encouraging to see because not every rookie has done that so far. Not every rookie has looked great. You know, Jabari Smith Jr. hasn't shot the ball well, and that's what he does best. So it was really nice. Both of the rookies for the Pistons, Omari, have at least, at the very least, showed out with what they do best in two games. Yeah, I agree. And we talked a lot about Jaden Ivey before the Pistons took him, and we kind of talked about, you know, fit and, you know, can he shoot well enough? Can he pass well enough? This and that. And after uh, the Pistons took him, I really did think he was going to go forward to Sacramento because I just figured they would take the best player available. Yeah, you watch him a little bit more. And also he's on the Purdue team that's got, you know, just sort of a wonky fit for a guard with the athletic gifts that he has. You, you you watch him, and then it's like, well, we talk about all this other stuff, but at the end of the day, a guy with that type of first step, uh, a lot of stuff just going to come easier anyway. You know, so it you doesn't matter. Really, so you don't really have to be Chris Paul, you know, as far as the passing vision. You don't have to shoot it like Dame. He's like he's just going to have a much easier time doing a lot of stuff because of that first step. And he's not a bad passer by any means. He's, you know, like and he's not a bad shooter. Uh, so even if those things settle in closer to like average, uh, he's still a guy that might be able to get you 20 at night just because of his first step, you know, especially if he locks it on defense as well. And he has a lot of tools to be an elite defender too. Uh, I was really impressed by some of the threes he hit. Like he hit like a really deep three uh, during game one. Like he said, a step back, you know, like his shot mechanics are not perfect, but you know, the ball seems to go in and, you know, between that and then just some of the passing reads he's made, like, you know, he pushed the pace. He found Braxton key on that cut for a dunk. He is making some reads that are, you know, like true point guard reads. And we didn't see that as much at uh, Purdue. So like he was kind of to- prone to tunnel vision. He's been good. I mean, we haven't seen a, a lot of him because he only played five minutes uh, Saturday, but I really can't nitpick what he's done too much at all. Like it seems like he's it's summer league, but it seems like he's translating pretty well. 
I almost wonder if he's one of those guys because the shot form looks wonky. If all of a sudden that, and some of the misses are really bad. They truly are. If that makes it seem like he's not shooting as well as he is, you know what I mean? Like, Kevin Knox is the opposite side of this. I watched Kevin Knox film for a breakdown and the shot, the shooting form looks really good. And even when he misses, it's like, it's a little bit short or a little bit long or it just rims out. And so it doesn't seem as bad. Like I wonder if Jay Nivey is going to be the other way where like the percentages really are going to be decent, but it seems worse because the shot doesn't look super pure and some of the misses are bad, but he shot from deep a lot at Purdue. So I don't think that's going to be an issue at all. And so I just, I think the shooting's going to be fine and you can facilitate getting him downhill and making easy reads. Go back and watch the very first play of that game on Thursday. It was off ball. They set a pin down for him coming out of the corner. He turned the corner on the defender and all he has to do is read the help defender. If he doesn't step up, I'm dunking it. If he does, I'll throw a lob to Jalen Duran. Jay Nivey can make those decisions, Amari. Maybe he's not making high level reads in ball screen situations, but those off ball things like that, that the Pistons can draw up for him. He absolutely is a high enough level passer to do those things. No, he absolutely is. And, Man, do I wish Cade was playing so we could just watch Cade and Jaden Ivey absolutely destroy a summer league team for 40 minutes. But, you know, to pair him with Cade, like, that's like the best case scenario for Jaden Ivey as well. Because Cade pretty much does everything you would want a guy playing. I mean, well, Cade does everything you would want anybody playing next to any point guard would do. Uh, but especially for a guy as athletic as Ivy, Cade had a pretty fun, funny answer if you asked him about Ivy uh, after practice. He was like, he's fast. I'm not fast. But <laughs> he, that, that was I knew yeah. he said something really <laughs> funny. I- yeah, I mean, this is just going to completely transform the Pistons' office next season. And then you also mix in Jalen Durant, who is just, like, he's just going to feast off of lobs from, uh, you know, all the young ball handlers the Pistons have. And, I mean, they're just going to look different. Like, you know, the Pistons have not been super athletic under, uh, you know, the Troy Weaver regime for the last two, uh, few seasons. They traded for Marvin Bagley because they recognized that they needed some athleticism in the front court. But, yeah, they, they're just so much more athletic. I mean, Avi and Durant were, like, absolutely two of the best athletes in the draft. Arguably the two best athletes, I mean, probably were the two best athletes to go in the in, in entire lottery. There may be somebody I'm, I'm forgetting, but I think it's Shane pretty, Sharp, pretty maybe, but... Shane is Sharp, and everything with Shane is Sharp is more theory than actuality. He also had the shoulder injury, so we barely even saw him play against the Pistons on Thursday. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, yeah, Pistons got a lot faster, a lot more athletic. And yeah, like Duran just looks like a grown man, even though he's the youngest player on the floor. Like, I'm excited to watch him next season, man. Like, I'm just, I'm excited to watch him. Like, I don't think the Pistons have ever had this type of athleticism uh, since I've been watching them, you know, for the last 20 years or whatever. I was texting with our good friend Scott Hale the other day, and, and you know, we were talking about the roster, and maybe they're not going to win a lot of games yet still and all that stuff. But he goes, I, I thought this was perfect. You go from being bad to being fun to then being good. And I was like, I feel like that's kind of where this team is going. Like they've been bad for two years. They could be a lot of fun this year with Cade, Ivy, Duran, all of these guys. And then hopefully a year or two from now, they're good. So I think that's kind of the path this team is on. I do think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. There might be some tough stretches to watch Omari if the shooting doesn't come around. So I know that's been a big question on the roster. And a guy I think can solve a lot of those things is actually Isaiah Livers. So what are your thoughts on Isaiah Livers through two games in summer league? Because I've really liked what I've seen. Yeah, I mean, some of the blocks he's had, uh, not just the blocks, but just overall how good he's been defensively, the way he communicates, the way he kind of sees. Some guys are able to just, like, we talk about point guards who can see several plays ahead. Yes. Isaiah Livers has some of that on defense, which feels a massive need for this team in the perimeter. And then you couple that with the shooting, and we already knew he could shoot. I was really impressed by Isaiah Livers last season because he barely – like he was out, you know, for so long rehabbing that foot injury that he suffered during the Big Ten tournament. He didn't have a summer. Uh, he kind of came back a little bit in December and then his foot was sore. So I set him back again, you know, but for him to come back and it took him a couple games to get comfortable. But once he got comfortable, he really did a good job shooting, rebounding, defending. And he never, ever looked sped up. You could watch players and you could see how they process the game. Some guys do everything a, a split second too late. And Isaiah Livers, he's not like a super athletic player, you know, but it just seems like everything kind of moves slow for him. And he's never hurried up, which is a great trait to have as a shooter. Um, and then for him to come to Summer League and what he had like 20 or 22 points when they played on Saturday. And he didn't shoot well Thursday, but defensively he was fantastic. I mean, he might genuinely be like one of the highest played players on next season's roster just because he does a lot of stuff that they need. He can play the three or the four. Uh, so he feels a deep there. Uh, he's an NBA player. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Like I'm extremely high on Isaiah Livers. Uh, he's shown you everything you would want 
to see from him on summer league and more. And he's just good, man. Like I think they got to steal, honestly. Yeah, I know. That's I was thinking about. That's just like, man, he looks pretty good. And I started yeah. tweeting about him a little bit. And, and finally, good friend Keith Black Trudeau was like, oh, no, he's absolutely an NBA player. It's like, okay, good. Like other people are seeing on Pistons Twitter what I'm seeing. And it is like the shooting is great. But he's like, I know this is another one of those buzzwords I like to use, whatever. But he's like a connector offensively, which I think this team needs. You know, like he doesn't need the ball in his hands at all, Omari. He's not going to have to do that. He's not going to self-create. But that's not going to be his role. That's Cade's job. That's Ivy's job. That's going to be Killian's job. You know, you can find guys to do that. It's not going to be Isaiah Livers, but you need guys who can bang shots, who will cut, who will get an offensive rebound, and then defensively. It's just so much fun to watch him. I, cle- I tweeted out one today. He's like talk, clapping, talking to Saban Lee uh, on ball, telling him where his help is, and then he scram switches after a ball screen. Like He just does all those little things really, really well, and and I'm with you. I think I don't know if he's going to start. I wouldn't hate it. You could talk, I think Rod Beard tweeted out, you could talk me into it. But no no matter whether he starts or not, he's going to play a lot of minutes for this team this season. He also, like, just from a personality standpoint, he's always really enjoyable to talk to. Like, he's just – he's got a – has, like, a, like, charisma to him, I guess. But, like, just very smart, uh, very basketball smart. Uh, yeah, like, I've, I'm, I'm buying a lot of Isaiah Liverstock. Like, I think he's really going to come out and fill somebody needs for the Pistons next season. Like, it's hard for me to see how he's not playing at least 20 minutes a night, every single night. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm going to end up being the Isaiah Livers hype train guy on Twitter, like not even by design, but it's getting there. And and I'm going to keep pushing that narrative because I think he's a really good basketball player. We're going to take a short break here, Omari. But when we come back, there's a few other guys at the bottom of the roster. We've seen play either one or two games that we'll talk about and just our thoughts about summer league in general and what we've seen. I'm Alyssa Robinson for the Detroit Free Press. When you wake up every morning, what's the first thing you do? Check your email? Me too. And when you sign up for our daily briefing newsletter, you'll get all the latest news sent directly to your inbox so you can wake up and be ready for the day. We also have newsletters about COVID-19 in Michigan, the latest entertainment headlines, as well as Woodward 248, a newsletter specifically for people living and working in Southeast Oakland County. And don't forget about automotive headlines and all the latest news from our Michigan sports teams. We have a newsletter for every personality and preference. Just head to freep.com forward slash newsletters to sign up for any one of these great options and more. We're back with segment three of the Pistons Post, where we're going to talk about some of the guys at the end of the roster for the Pistons and then Summer League as a whole as well. Braxton Key, uh, you know, he was a guy that came in last season. And I didn't always love what I saw from Braxton last season, to be honest with you, but he's looked really good in Summer League, just being like a high-energy defensive guy who can cut and just make things happen. Like, he's just like a make-things-happen player. Uh, I feel like this has been a pretty good summer league for him. And again, it's, it's summer league. It's tough to say how much of this would carry it, into the season. But uh, I like, I've like i liked his activity so far. And I think he's done what you want to see from a player with his skill set. Yeah, I, I was the same way. Like, I wasn't super high on him last season. And then, you know, some of the group chats I'm a part of are like, man, Braxton T- Key's taking way too much hate on Twitter. And I text Wes about it. And I, I, I've rewatched game one. I've rewatched game two, especially game one, because whenever I watch a game in person, like, you know, like I said, I was fanboying the whole game. So I had to go back and rewatch that. Like, I can see what people like about him. I'm still not sure I'm sold. But if you think the jumper can come around, he does do some nice things. Like he's been disruptive defensively. He does some of those things, Isaiah Livers, in terms of that. And then just a utility player, cutting at the right time, grabs an offensive rebound. He turns the ball over a little bit too much for me. But I do think he's had an interesting summer league. And and again, he's just on a two-way. So, you know, essentially he's player 16 or 17. I, I do see why some fans like him. I don't know if it's kind of the, you know, the Bruce Brown thing. I think Wes brought that up when we were texting, you know, like maybe – the. Since the Pistons lost Bruce Brown, you know, the, the fan base is looking for the next one. But, you know, I, I don't mind it as much as, as I did. The other two-way guy, Omari, Buddy Beheim, I don't think has really looked good on the floor through two games. No, we haven't seen a lot from Beheim. And, uh, you know, I figure he'll play pretty significantly the next two games as well, you know, especially if they shut down uh, Ivy and maybe some of the other vets, you know, maybe Saban who had the – ankle injury as well but the thing about buddy is just his main skill is just hitting threes 
And if he's not knocking down threes, he's not giving you a whole lot else. You know, I think teams like ever since Duncan Robinson kind of came out and played his way into an 18 million a year contract just by shooting lights out with the ball, teams are probably a lot more proven to take chances on, you know, players of that kind of archetype who aren't necessarily plus athletes or don't give you a whole lot else besides shooting, but can really, really shoot. And Bayheim, he was more of a high volume guy to like a high accuracy guy at Syracuse. I think he shot like 36%, but like over 800 attempts. So, you know, there maybe some of the logic there is, you know, put him on like it, it, NBA spacing. You have NBA playmaking, setting him up. If he could shoot above average, like not like a blistering hot clip, but above average on that high volume over four years, that could definitely translate to the league. But he hasn't been hitting shots yet, so... Uh, I'll definitely keep an eye on him and see if that shot comes around. It's summer league. I mean, sometimes you're just in a cold spell and it's not that big a deal. Uh, Jabari Smith's been struggling to be no Jabari Smith can shoot, obviously. But definitely want to see him knock some shots down for sure. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing for me is like watching him just a little bit defensively. It doesn't look like he's going to be able to hold up at all. So like even if he does shoot it lights out, he has to be able to defend just a little bit. Now, a guy who did shoot it lights out on Saturday was Stanley Amude. And, you know, he was a guy that really scored the ball in college when he was at South Dakota, averaged 21.6 points per game his last year there. Then he transferred to Arkansas. Just a career 35% three-point shooter, but got some minutes in the game on Saturday. Another guy that I'll be interested to watch for going forward if if some of these guys at the end of the bench get some more minutes. Yeah, I agree. Like, he knocked down shots. You, you never really know what to expect from those type of guys who are just the summer league sightings and you know, the vast majority of them obviously probably aren't going to pan out. Uh, but he came in and hit shots, so that's really, you know, all you really want to see from a, a player like that. Uh, I was actually talking to Jeremy Wu, who we had on the pod, I think, back in May, uh, draft expert for SI.com, known for a few years. I was sitting next to him during Saturday's game, and uh, he was just talking about how much he liked, you know, Stanley as a uh, player. So I'll keep an eye out on him. You know, you know, like I know fans always ask, like I remember when they drafted Prashida, people were night up, or like, what can we expect from him? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't know who this guy is. You know, like, I don't know a lot about uh, Stanley, but uh, he had shots on Saturday and, uh, you know, and we saw with Jamarco Pickett last year. And if a guy comes out and really performs well, uh, he could play his way into sticking around. So uh, I'll, I'll keep an eye on him for sure. And I'm curious to see if he's able to keep it going over the next half of the games. Brashida did sign a three-year contract, I believe, with the European team. I, did, I didn't look up the club that he signed with, but he has signed a three-year contract overseas. You know, you can always buy those things out. So if he blows up over there, you can, you know, still find a way to get him over to the States before that. But obviously, doesn't look like it's a possibility for him to be with the Pistons this season, which I think we kind of knew and anticipated. Speaking of draft and stash, the one from last season, Balsa Koprovica, who actually did see out in Vegas at dinner when whenever I was there. It was it was early, so it's not like he was breaking curfew the night before the game. But, you know, Amari, he didn't look very good in game one. Probably got outplayed by Luca Garza and then didn't get any time in game two. So it'll be interesting to see how much time he gets if they shut down Isaiah Stewart, etc. But, you know, some big minutes for him coming up in terms of proving himself as an NBA possible player. His archetype probably is you want him to be a guy who can protect the rim and finish lives and whatnot. And, uh, I mean, I don't need to talk too much about it. Like, you'll get blocked by Luka Garza in the post-up. That's, you know, that's not good. So, <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. But that was uh, that's a pretty big red flag as, well, as far as being NBA ready. So <laughs> That's what pretty much everybody was like. My only memory of Balsa was that he got blocked by Luka. And so that was – we did get to see Luka on Thursday night. Frank yeah, was did. there watching him, supporting his son. But – One thing I think to make note of Summer League is let's just talk some general thoughts on it is these guys aren't just playing for NBA rosters, Omari. A lot of these guys aren't going to be on NBA rosters. They may get two ways. Maybe they get in the G League, but some of these guys may simply be playing to get seen by a scout that's that's from overseas. I'll be honest, as I was walking through media areas, you could see all sorts of scouts. A lot of them you could tell were from foreign countries that were there to watch and probably trying to find talent for their teams over there. So this isn't just about... NBA rosters, two-way rosters. And so, you know, maybe these games won't get as exciting as guys get shut down, but it's very, very important basketball minutes for these guys at the end of the roster. Like, these guys are just playing for opportunities in general. Uh, you know, of course, most of them, you know, both stick around in the NBA. You know, like, a lot of these guys can hoop. And I think the things that's, that's fun about Summer League, uh, as we kind of transitioned into talking about some of, some of the guys from every teams as well, is – 
you know, everybody's playing for something, right? And usually the guys who are not the draft picks can often be a little bit hungrier because uh, they are actually, you know, like playing for their livelihood, right? They they did sign a, a, a NBA deal. They're looking for uh, that next contract wherever it comes. And, you know, just to kind of see like those talent differences kind of like laid bare or just like some guys like Jamarco last year kind of sees it above it. Like, I mean, you know, like I, I read about his story, but, uh, you know, for him to not, not even be like highly recruited at all, uh, you know, that Georgetown, he was okay at Georgetown, right? Like pretty good, but, uh, you know, for him to you know, be able to get a two-way deal, like those stories are like really cool. And, uh, you know, like I was the weirdo who, you know, when I was still in like high school, I used to like pay five, 10 bucks, you know, to get the uh, Orlando uh, Summer League Pass and just like watch guys that you watched in college like five years ago and didn't even know we're still playing basketball. So uh, it's just fun, man. Like I like, I just love seeing these guys go out there and grind and try to seize the moment. Uh, your boy Jaden Hardy went off. Uh, you know, guys have something to prove. They come in. You, you can, can kind of see that hugger. As far as the rest of the league, uh, I do want to talk about that game before the Pistons play uh, on Saturday. Uh, between the <laughs> the one that never would end, the one that never would end, yeah. Between the Kings and the Magic, and uh, we got to talk about Keegan Murray because Keegan Murray has been balling. Do we uh, have to talk about Keegan Murray? This is kind of like a Pistons pod. Like I feel like we stay in our lane. But we got to talk about Keegan Murray because <laughs> folks were talking about him like he was going to be a, a scrub in the NBA, right? Like he's 21. I mean, this summer league, I'm going to say a summer league probably 80 times over the course of this pod. But I think he scored like 20 points at least like every single game. Like his three ball looks automatic. Like that shot he hit, you know, to tie the game and send it into OT. Uh, it was just like an absolutely ridiculous shot. Even if Jaden Ivey is up being a better player, I still think Sacramento will, will feel pretty good about Keegan just because I think he's go- definitely going to be an above average basketball player. Yeah, he had 23 on Sunday right before we started yeah. recording this. And I-, I will admit, the one thing he has done that has been higher level than what I thought was some of his movement threes, you know, coming off screens. I think he hit a step back in the game today that was really impressive late in the game. You know what he's hit, Omari? He's hit some like high level clutch buckets. And so we can say it's just summer league, but at the end of the day, this stuff is like on the court with the game on the line. There were a lot of fans in the stands, which adds a whole nother dynamic to this as well. You know, Cox Pavilion, they're stopping people from entering the gym because the stands are full. In Thomas and Mac, like the whole bottom bowl was full almost every single game. So they're playing with big time crowds and the pressure and the intensity does go up late in games and he's hit some big shots. So his shot making in that way has been really impressive. Yeah, you could say the same thing about Ben Carroll too. And I mean, we knew he was going to do this coming then. I think I've mentioned maybe the episode we did before the uh, draft that I uh, actually understood Ben Carroll, you know, going number one over Jabari Smith because as good as Jabari Smith is at shooting, a guy who's six ten can handle the ball and just play bully ball, right? But also can like really pass the ball. And he's a lot more mobile than Julius Randle as well. Like, I know he got that comparison, but, you know, Julius Randle's kind of built like a fullback. And Paolo just has, I think, more of a grace to his game. Uh, Paolo's made it look easy, too. Like, like just some of the moves he's had. Like, you just put him out there with NBA spacing and just, like, he's just a hooper, man. Like, I'm going to have a lot, lot of fun playing him next season. And it was fun seeing him and Keegan go at each other. Yeah, I'm really excited for Paolo Bancaro. And he's really looked... Like the again, like the player I thought he was going to be. I think that's my biggest takeaway for a lot of these guys. And maybe just selfishly, I watch them play and I'm trying to judge against what I did for my breakdowns on them. And Paulo coming in, I thought he could be the hub of an offense and, and create for others and be a good passer. And not just me, everybody said this stuff. So it's not like I saw something nobody else did, but he has definitely shown that through a couple games in summer league. You know, the other guy, you know, I know we didn't always agree on him. I still had him number three on my board, but Chet Holmgren, he came out, had an incredible first game. You know, the offensive game, I will, I, I do want to say this, the offensive game hasn't been quite as impressive since that first one. But defensively, that dude has been incredible, just blocking everything that comes around the rim. I know he had the one matchup against Kenny Lofton where he just kind of bullied him. And I, I know that has some people concerned. But as an off-ball help defender, Omari, he swats, he meets guys at the rim, and usually he ends up winning that. Yeah, and I'll just say Kitty Lofton is he has a perfectly catered game to beat up tall Linky sitters. Like there is not a worse match other than guys like a beat or whatnot who do it against like everybody, but Kitty Lofton, 280 pounds, 6'6. Skilled. Like extremely low center of gravity, skilled, extremely soft touch with that hook. He he, he would not only do that against Chet. I think there's a lot of sitters that Kitty Lofton would have 
success against doing that just because that's extremely hard to guard. You know, so folks were like, oh, see, like, Chet's going to struggle. But no, Kenny Loft, like, he abused uh, Victor, like, the exact same way he did Chet, you know, in one of the tournaments a year or two ago. And, you know, and, and Victor is a much better prospect than Chet as well. Taller, you know, Wade's more still got demolished. So, yeah, Kenneth Lofton, uh, he's a fun play- player to watch. But Chet was good. Like, you know, I thought the way he, he had up the, the ball, the you know, the way he's able to shoot. Uh, he's probably going to play a little bit more guard-like on offense than maybe some people are expecting. And he did get to shut out off at Gonzaga a lot. But I remember watching him in high school uh, when he went against Imani Bates. And just watching Chet, I'm like, this dude, like, I'm not comparing him to Giannis, but the way he had attacked the game on offense was kind of Giannis-like. Obviously not the same level of physicality and just brute strength going to the rim, but also a, a better shooter as well. Uh, you know, so I'm curious to see if OKC puts the ball in his hands a lot and lets him you know, like push those fast breaks like he did like that spot of three a lot of Gonzaga. And I'm, I'm just curious to see how much of his game he actually has there. Like, can he break guys down? Because just having a seven foot one guy who can really shoot put up threes like that is going to create a lot of matchup issues alone. Like he doesn't even need to be Kevin Durant to uh, really be a highly productive offensive player with that on his back. That's what I do like about his offensive game is I do think he can make matchups hard for other teams. But you brought up how are they going to utilize him? Like, don't you want the ball in SGA's hands and Josh Giddy's hands? So it'll be interesting when you get into the season how much he gets to do those things or does the ball end up in somebody else's hands? It's not going to be like Gonzaga where everything's running through Drew Timmy. I'm sure they'll still find a way, but it does seem like that's what he does best. And he, he, he seems like that's where he's most comfortable. Like it's not going to be go banging in the post. I don't think either of us think that's his game. It's more of going to be a perimeter oriented game. But if the shot is true, at the very least, he's going to be a defensive anchor type player with a guy that can knock down shots. The other thing with Chad is that there just aren't a lot of guys with his skill set that are coming to the league, if any. Like, he gets compared to Porzingis, but he's way better defensively, and I think a lot more mobile. They compared to a few people, but none of those comparisons really fit. So, out of all the rookies, like, you know, like, not on the Pistons, you know, of course, I'm excited to watch Ivy and Duran, but Chet might be the one I'm most excited to watch just because I have no clue what's going to happen, you know? Like, I couldn't, like, I don't even know how to predict his numbers. I, I, I have no clue. Like, this is just a complete... Uh, mystery box to me and uh, definitely curious to see which aspects of his game OKC is able to unlock. So after a week of summer league, you're not ready to give your rookie of the year lock just yet? <laughs> All these guys are good, man. Like there was a lot of talk about this class being a weaker class and it's probably not quite as strong after the top. Like, I think it's a good good class. Like I know Johnny Davis struggled against uh, the, the Pistons pretty, pretty bad, but I still think Johnny Davis is going to be better than people expect. Uh, there's a lot of guys where, you know, if, if they could shoot, like you could see them come a lot better, like like Sohan and whatnot. Uh, so this is a fun class, man. I mean, realistically, I can see like six guys getting rookie of the year. Like Keegan, like he'll have the ball a lot. Like Keegan could probably put up some pretty good numbers early. Like wouldn't shock me to see him average like 15 and 7. I mean, that would put him firmly in the mix. Paolo, he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. Uh, so I'm just curious, man. Like this is to be a, a, going to be a really fun class just because I just think that there's a lot of parity throughout like that top six or seven and guys should be able to make an impact pretty early. Yeah, I think that's what's interesting, right? Is it was supposed to be such a weak class. And I think maybe unintendedly, people said that, but it was really about just like not having that star power. Like, I don't know that you think that this is the face of your franchise type talent. I still think Paulo out of any of them has the ability to be that, but you got a lot of guys who could be number two option, maybe number three option, be really good players. And it's not just one or two of them. Like you just said, six, seven, and maybe even more if guys can develop some jumpers. So, you know, we still have a whole nother week of summer league Omari to watch these guys. I'm sure they're going to get you know, shut down over the next few days. I know you're leaving. I think you're going to watch the Pistons practice tomorrow, but it's been really fun so far. I don't know if we're going to get to see Jaden Ivey again or not. If not, you know, that's all right. We'll still got Jalen Duran and then a lot of those guys on the back end of the roster that are, whether it's for the Pistons or not, those guys are playing for something. And so there's still, you know, interesting games to watch. Maybe they'll call a few less fouls as they go throughout the week. Yeah, that's been the one downside for sure. Like, it's been like eight delayed game calls during the Pistons games. Like, that first game. Uh, I was miserable that day. Well, I would say I was miserable. I, I, I was just tired. Like, I woke up at 5.30 Eastern for my flight. You know, the game's like at midnight Eastern. I booked my travel before the game. And it's my fault. I should have booked, the, like, I should have changed my flight time once I saw the game was at midnight. But uh, anyway, you wait all day for this midnight game. And then the game just becomes super choppy because they're whistling every foul and they're called a repeated delay of games. It's just like, please, let's just, it's, it's, it's summer league. Like, let's just move it along. And I feel like that's kind of you know, the, the, the rhythm for the Pistons games just because they've been so tightly officiated. 
And, and I do want to say, so I'm going to defend the referees just a little bit here. One of the refs for the Pistons game grew up in the area that I'm from. I actually coached against him. So I'm going to defend them just a little bit. These guys are trying to, these guys are trying to make their way into the league as well. And they're getting evaluated on everything they do. So I think that's why you've seen them be sticklers for the delay a game. And I, I think there was a technical for a second delay a game because like one of the Rockets players didn't have their jersey tucked in because like they're having to ref everything, the letter of the law, because they're getting evaluated by you know a superior and so they're they're trying to you know they don't have the the leash to have that leeway and and nuance that maybe we see in an nba game so let's give them just a little bit of a break (laughs) i'll give your buddy a break i'll give your buddy a break it's not his fault it's not his fault he's good he's 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 the 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 best ref the rest i was like okay like darren had a a duck and he was like a split second late getting back and they caught a delay a game i'm like okay come on like i don't think they're gonna if they're granting you that hard then yeah that's a problem but Whatever, I'm just being cranky. <laughs> I'm just being cranky. No, it, it definitely has ruined the flow of some of the games. Yeah. And, and I didn't notice even as much until I watched the games online afterwards. And when you can fast forward through all that stuff, I was like, oh, this game wasn't so bad. Well, I watched it in 40 minutes, not the two and a half hours that it took live. So hopefully that gets a little bit better. Again, the Pistons will play on Tuesday night when you're listening to this at 9 p.m. Eastern versus the Indiana Pacers on Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern against the Cleveland Cavaliers. And then they will have one more game. I don't know how all that stuff is decided. I know there's, you know, they take the two best records and there's all these tiebreakers. Those teams do play for a championship and there's a ring, but the Pistons will have one more game. I assume we'll know that after the game on Thursday. Shout out to our editor, Kerry Jr. the second, our executive producer, Antoinette Delgado, and our other executive producer and my sports editor, Kirkley Crawford. Also, shout out to Wes Davenport, puts our alliance together, keeps us in line. And excited to talk to you all next week after Summer League is over. And we stare down the dark abyss of the rest of the offseason itself, trying to cap hopes at the end of September.